Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. We believe that this message is going to bless your life, encourage you, and strengthen your walk with Jesus. Grab a notebook, a pen, and let's jump right in. Hey man, aren't you glad that God chose you? Amen? Amen. Come on, this side's excited. How about you guys? Aren't you glad that God chose you? He sees you where you are. He sees you in the midst of your choices, good or bad. And he says, you know what? I've got something better. And that's what we're talking about. We're right in the middle of a series going through the book of Acts. Why are we looking at the book of Acts? We're spending six months processing through how did the early church respond to this idea to go and make disciples. That's what Jesus said as he was leaving this earth. One of the last things he said was go and make disciples, share the good news with everyone, everywhere. So we began this year looking at multiply. That's our word for the year. Our heart's desire is to multiply our impact in this community, to multiply our relationship with Jesus Christ, to multiply what's happening here in this body, to multiply this church, to see new people every single week, to multiply our leadership, to, in other words, offering ourselves to God, allowing him to do in and through us what he desires to do. And we realized that the only way that we could truly do this to the best of our ability was to look at the early church firsthand, how did they respond to this mandate? Well, two weeks ago, we saw a conversion. We saw this gentleman by the name of Saul. Do you remember Saul? Man, he was one of those dirty, rotten scoundrels. Man, he was going into churches and temples and homes and he was finding the early believers and he was pulling them out and he sentencing them to death or dragging them out in chains and doing all these things, persecuting the church. But God got a hold of him as he was journeying on the road to Damascus, a radical transformation where God stopped him in his tracks and spiritually turned him around. Then last Sunday, wow, what a time we had on Easter. Man, that was incredible. If you were with us on Easter Sunday morning, maybe that was your first time ever to be a part of Encounter Church. We welcome you. We're so excited that you are here. If you are a regular attender and you invited somebody to come with you, thank you so much for your willingness to reach outside of yourself because we saw God do some incredible things last weekend. Between our two campuses, 18 people made a decision to follow after Jesus. Isn't that incredible? Amen. Over 700 people were in attendance at Encounter Church between the two campuses last weekend. That is spectacular. Nine and a half years ago, we were sitting at 65 people. Man, 10 years, 10 times. Isn't that incredible? So we see incredible things last Sunday. Watch that happen. Now today, I want to jump back into the book of Acts. I want to move into chapter 10. Now, this is an interesting story. We find a a man by the name of Cornelius, who is a devout, God-fearing Roman army official living in Caesarea. And then 32 miles away was this disciple of Jesus 
named Simon Peter. He's staying currently in the city or the town of Joppa. Why am I sharing this story with you today? Because chapter 10 is a vitally important and applicable chapter in the book of Acts to today's culture. I want to share with you just for a few minutes on this topic that truthfully, many of us in the room on surface value, many of us in the room would say this doesn't apply to me at all. This doesn't affect me. I'm not this way whatsoever. But if we are truly honest with ourselves today, if we would really take a deep down look at our heart, at the very root of what's in the inside, we'll discover it really applies to every one of us to some degree. You see, today I want to talk about this idea of prejudice. Now, I'm not going to look at the obvious racial prejudice. I want to broaden that because I think we can be prejudiced on a bigger scale than just skin color. Skin color, that's a problem. Okay, that's a prejudice problem. I get that. But I want to broaden this out just a little bit. I want to look at this question. How do you respond to people who are different than you? Come on. How do you respond? Not how does the church respond. Not how does the pastoral staff respond. But you personally, the Bible over and over says that we are to examine ourselves. Take a real good look on the inside. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to examine the inside of our lives. We're going to take a look. We're going to peel back all the layers. And we're going to find out how do we truly respond to people that are different than we are. Maybe they have different values. Maybe they are a political difference. Come on, that's been a big thing. Maybe they have a different idea on morality or a social class or economic class. Maybe they're different in appearance or age or race or gender. Maybe they have a different lifestyle than you live. Maybe they do things that you would never imagine doing or couldn't even comprehend doing. The list goes on and on. How would you respond if they were to walk in the room today and and sit down right beside you? What would that look like for you? I've discovered that if we fear the diversity of thoughts and difference then we as a church, we as the followers of Christ, we're alienating ourselves from others. The Bible says that we are to be of the world, in the world, but not of the world. We're to go into the world. We're to go where it's difficult. We're to go where it's not like us. We're to impact those around. We're to multiply our impact in the community without allowing the community to change us. Come on, you guys are quiet. It's impossible for us to fulfill this great commission to go and make disciples of all nations if we're too busy pushing those that are different than us to the side. Come on, let me say that again. 
it's impossible to fulfill this mission, this mandate, if you would, that Jesus laid out before us to go and make disciples of all nations, of telling everyone everywhere of the good news of Jesus Christ, if we are too self-righteous in ourselves and we push those that are different than us to the side. Here's what I've discovered. Your prejudice for or against others is an indictment on your Christianity, your relationship with Jesus. Let that sink in for a moment. Your prejudice for or against another is an indictment on your Christianity. It's an indictment on your relationship with Jesus Christ. It begins to reveal who you really are at your core. See, as a Christian, originally that was a derogatory term to be called a Christian. What it meant was you're a little Christ. In other words, you're a reflection of who he is. You represent him in what you do. You, you are like him in your actions and your responses. So I wonder today when somebody walks in that is different than you, can you truly claim to be a little Christ? Or have we just reverted to playing church? Of going through the motions. You see, John chapter 13, our text for today, verse 35 says this Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciple. Look at your neighbor this morning and ask him this question Do you love those that are different than you? Kind of process that right now. Your love for one another will prove to the world. The world is watching those that claim to be a Christian. If you have shared with those around you, and I hope you have, that you love Jesus Christ, if you share with those around you that you are faithful in your attendance to church, if you share with those around you that this is the guidebook for your life, but you're not living consistently with this, there's something wrong. Come on. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Therefore, we are to love one another despite our differences. Some of you just justified your actions and your behaviors. Oh, well, they've got to love me now because even though I do what's wrong, they've got to love me anyway because Jesus loves me. Let me give you a little disclaimer here. We are to love one another, yes, despite the differences, but there's a difference between loving someone and accepting their actions, behavior, lifestyle, right? We love the person, we don't love the sin. See, the way that God loves us is this. He loves us just as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. 
That's how we're to love those around us. We're to, to love them unconditionally in and through the mess that they're making of their life. But we don't support that lifestyle, that behavior, that sin, that wrongdoing. We love the person and we love them out of that into a right standing with God. The love we are to have is to be a love that was demonstrated by Jesus Christ. He loves us so much. But he loves us too much to leave us where we are. However, the difference may not be sin. It may just be a difference. Man, you look across this room today, we have all sorts of economic classes. I would venture to say we have a lot of different political views and ideas in this room. We have a lot of different thoughts on a lot of different things in just a group of people of this size. So what do we do when we step outside of these doors? How do we respond to those that are different than us? That's where I want to look at our story with Cornelius and Peter today. Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse 1, it says this, In Caesarea there lived a Roman army official named Cornelius, who is a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius started at him in ter- stared at him in terror. What is it? He asked the angel. The angel replied, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa to summon a man by the name of Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon the tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. If you keep reading the story, we find that the next day, Peter, it's around noon, he's hungry, he's ready for lunch. So while lunch is being prepared, he goes to the rooftop to pray. In the midst of this time of prayer, he has a vision from God, and and what looked like a sheet came down from heaven containing all sorts of animals and reptiles and birds. And the Lord said to him, go, get up, kill, and eat. Now, this happened three times. And I want you to understand why this was an interesting vision for Peter. He was a Jewish man. And and as a Jew, they were very regulated with what they could eat and what they couldn't eat. To see all of this mixture of animals and birds and reptiles on this sheet and the voice from heaven declared, get up, kill and eat. This was a struggle for Peter. This happened three times. He was perplexed by the meaning of the vision Right then, Cornelius' men arrived on the scene, knocking on the door downstairs and calling for Peter to come down. That's what I want to look at. I want to look at three questions regarding prejudice, with this story as our foundation to build upon. 
The first question, as we look at this idea of of prejudice or how do we respond to those around us, is this, why? Why should I care for others? See, that's an important question. If I don't know the why, I can't figure out anything else. Why should I do this? Why is this important? Why is the Bible leading me this direction? This chapter, chapter 10 of the book of Acts, is one of the most important chapters in the book of Acts, not only in Acts, but also within the Bible. Why? Because it records the opening of the door of salvation to the Gentiles. Now that may not make a lot of sense to you because you don't know what a Gentile is. Let me describe it, let me define it very easily for you. If you're not a Jew... You're a Gentile. You see, on the forefront of all of this, the message of Jesus Christ, the good news of God, was presented first off to God's chosen people, the Jews. Now, in this moment, the door begins to open an opportunity for those of us that aren't Jews to come into this relationship with God through the price Jesus paid on the cross of Calvary. This story has two men And it teaches us how to respond to people that are different than us in action, different than us in skin color, different than us in wealth or poverty, by education or lack thereof, by popularity or by religion or even a lack of religion. What does prejudice mean then? If we're going to look at this idea in the context of Cornelius and Peter, what does it mean to be prejudiced? Well, prejudice is simply a a perception problem. I don't have all the details. I don't have all of the answers. I haven't figured it all out, so I'm going to just make a judgment call on you. You must be like this because you're hanging out with them. You must be like this because you live on that side of the tracks. You must be like this because of your lack of education or your vast amount of education. You must be like this because of your family background, whatever the list may be. By definition, prejudice is this, an unfavorable or favorable opinion or feeling formed beforehand without knowledge, thoughts, or reason. It it reacts strongly either for or against someone or something without knowing the facts. In other words, it's the lazy way of lumping together all those that come from a certain class or occupation or race, attributing all these characteristics to them just because they're from a certain group. Now, some of those things may be true, but some of them may not be true. It may be true about a group as a whole, but it may not be true about that individual person within that group. And the result is this. It divides, it isolates, it excludes people. And truth be told, it's in opposition to the hearts of God. Come on, listen carefully this morning, church. This is one of those messages that's not easy to preach. As a pastor, as a preacher, I'd rather just preach the easy stuff. For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. Come on, that's easy. While we were yet sinners, Jesus died. That's easy. 
But here, there's a reason why this story is in the Word of God. There's a reason why we see this unveiled in our guidebook for life. Why? Because prejudice is in opposition to the very heart of God. And as we continue to grow as a church, I'm here to tell you, we will begin even at a greater rate to see people that are perhaps different than you. We're going to reach deeper into those that are addicted to drugs and to alcohol. We're going to see the homosexual come through these doors. We're going to see the morally distraught, the religiously confused. We're going to see the socially oppressed. And what are we going to do with that crowd? Push them to the side? Post guards at the front door and say, until you clean up your life, you can't come in? Is that what we do? Well, let me give you the answer from God's word. You see, if I gave you my opinion, then you could possibly come up with reasons why you don't like my opinion. But I'm going to give you the word of God. Okay? Something to chew on here. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, it says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to the home as a dinner guest, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, listen carefully, what the religious leaders, the self-righteous individuals, look at what they ask in that moment. Why does your teacher, why does Jesus eat with such, the words of the Bible say, scum? Have you ever called somebody a scum? Maybe not out loud, but you thought it. They walked by you at Walmart and they smelled different than you. There was a fragrance on them. You're like, I know what you've been up to. Come on. They post something on social media and you're like, well, I get all self-righteous. And in your mind, you're saying you're a scum. Come on, right? You guys are like, oh, never me, Pastor. I would never resort to that kind of behavior. No, not me. But the religious leaders looked at Jesus and the disciples and said, why in the world are you going to hang out with scum? Second-rate citizens. When Jesus heard this, look what he said. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Church, I want you to know that healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. As a church, we are called to love the unlovable, to embrace the outcast, to draw in the unwanted. I've had people contact the church and they said, hey, my lifestyle right now, this is what I'm doing in my lifestyle. Can we come to your church? I said, absolutely, you can come to our our church. We're going to preach the word of God in its full completion. 
We're going to tell you exactly what the Word of God has to say. But we love you. And we want you here. So what are you doing when you encounter those that don't fit into your little mold? See, Peter had a choice to make. For centuries, the Jews had declared the Gentiles to be unclean. For some Jews, they even referred to the Gentiles as dogs. Perhaps another way of saying scum. So when Peter was confronted by Cornelius' men, now remember, Cornelius was a Gentile, a scum, a, a, a dog, Peter had to take a moment and make a choice. Will I treat this man and his, his entourage, his people, as a person that God is concerned about? Or do I simply push him back as an outcast or a second-rate citizen? There are going to be moments that we as individuals find ourselves in that same place that Peter was in that day. What are you going to do? You see, Cornelius' men saw Cornelius as a very good man. In fact, they justified who he was as a Gentile by saying he's a very devout, God-fearing man. He's well-respected by all the Jews. How did Peter respond? Verse 10, or chapter 10, verse 28 says this. Peter responded by saying, you know, it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile's home. It's against our Jewish laws for me to even associate with you. But I love what he goes on to say. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. Peter had a choice to make. Does he follow the view of man or does he pursue the view and the heart of God? You likewise are at that crossroads. Are you going to begin to see those around you through the eyes of God or through the preference of man? Fortunately, Peter, he chose to see through the eyes of God. If you go on in chapter 10, it says this in verse 34, I see very clearly. Come on, look at that. He doesn't say, I think I see. I see through shady glasses. No, 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 no. I see very clearly that there's not a doubt in my mind. There's no hesitation in my response. I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. So why? Why should I care about others? Why should I invest in that, those that I may consider an outcast? Why should I begin to pursue them with a heart of love and compassion? Because God so loved the world. That God loved them so much that he paid the ultimate price. God loves them as much as he loves you. 
But we can't stop at the why. Let's look at the how. How should I care for others? The how simply begins with motivation and movement. Peter sees this vision three times. This this sheet comes down from heaven. There's all sorts of animals and reptiles and birds on this. And the Lord says to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. In other words, get up and do what I'm telling you to do. Man, has God ever been that direct with you? He has with me. Man, there's been times in my life that he's like, come on, you got to stop piddling around. You got to stop hesitating in this moment. It's time for you to get up and go. It's time for you to get up and move. It's time for you to pursue what I've placed in your life. But for Peter, there was a, a little bit of hesitation. This vision had to come three times, an identical vision. Have you ever had a moment of hesitation to the calling of God? Maybe you were afraid what will happen if I follow through with this. Maybe you were unsure. You don't have all the details, so you're kind of pushing back. Maybe it was going to make you uncomfortable because it wasn't your normal place to be or thing to do, and God's saying, now is the time, but you're like, no, 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 I think later is better. Come on, can you relate with that? Sure, we all can. But did you know that 88% of the unchurched say that friendliness of the church is the major factor in their returning. 88% of people, come on, 88% say the friendliness of the church is the major factor for their returning. Some of you are nodding your heads right now. I see it all across the room. But some of you are kind of like Tom Rainer said in his book, Surprising Insights from the Unchurched, he says this, most church members believe they are friendly. Come on, don't read on. How many of you would say, you're friendly? Okay, I'm concerned. Only about a third of you raised your hands. Okay, you're kind of getting there. Majority of us, majority of the church will say, man, our church is friendly. Our church will make you feel at home. Our church will embrace you. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter anything else. Then you walk through the door and they're hugging you. They're embracing you. They're wanting you apart. They invite you to sit by them. They ask you to go to dinner, all these things. Man, we are a friendly church. I've even seen churches called friendly church. But he goes on to say this. Most church members believe they are friendly when in reality they are friendly only to others whom they already know. Wow. We're really friendly to our friends. We're such good people. I'm friendly to my friends. That's awesome. But Jesus says we've got to take it further than just being friendly to our friends. Are you reaching out to that person you don't know? Man, sometimes that's uncomfortable. Let me just tell you, sometimes that's awkward. You you walk up to that person, you're trying to have a conversation, you're trying to ask questions, you're trying to get to know them a little bit, and maybe, maybe they're not responsive. 
Or maybe you say, oh, I've never seen you before. It's great having you with us this morning. This is your first time? No, I've been coming for seven years. <laughs> or maybe we see that person that, <laughs> that is a lot different than who we are. So we see him come through the door and we beeline it to the opposite side of the room. See, most church members believe they're friendly when in reality they're just friendly to those they already know. We must learn to get out of our little self-created world and into the world that God would have us to go get up and go. This is a world that includes loving beyond our comfort zone, looking outside of our circle. Yeah, this includes Sunday mornings, but it goes much further than that. Are you making a greater impact? Are you multiplying your impacts in this community? So how do I do this? How do I care for others? How do I care for somebody around me? Well, number one, with willingness. I've got to be willing to care for them. Whether they're unchurched, whether they're new to this family that we call Encounter Church, whether there's someone in the church that has messed up, that has fallen, we must be willing to care. First Peter chapter 5 says, care for the flock that God has entrusted you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you can get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. We are called by God to reach beyond ourselves. Why? Because we're eager to serve God. Jesus demonstrated this heart of servanthood when he's with the disciples and he takes off the outer garment, the Bible says. He puts a towel around his waist. He began to wash their feet. This was the job of the lowest of the lowest of the lowest servants. Yet Jesus, in this moment, this, he says, this is what I want you to do. If you want to be great in my kingdom, you've got to learn to be a servant of all. Are you willing to serve those around you. Number two, we do this with excitement. Man, there's a passion and eagerness and a longing to serve those around me. Do you remember the, 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 the prodigal son, you know, the one that squandered all of his inheritance? He went to his dad and said, you know what? I don't want to wait for you to keel off. I want all my money now. I want to live life now. I want to live it to the fullest now. And the Bible says he went out and he, he squandered it in a wild living to the point that he found himself feeding the pigs and eating the pig slop. He realizes in that moment he's messed up. He comes almost like a dog with its tail between his legs and he comes back to his father and he's like, just make me one of your servants. They're living a better life than I was living over here. Just make me a servant. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And look what the, the father says to the older son. This older son wasn't happy that his brother was back. The father says, but we should be glad and celebrate. Your brother was dead but he is now alive. He was lost and has now been found. See, God's concerned about that one. 
maybe you're that one today. Maybe you're here in the service and you're giving God one more try. Maybe you're here and you're trying to figure this God thing out. Maybe your life is spiraling downward and you don't know what to do. Maybe you have a close friend that's in that situation today. I want you to know God sees them where they are and I challenge you with excitement, passionately pursue them. And number three, with supports. Romans chapter 15 says this, those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter. Come on. But pastor, it's easier for me just to shake my finger at him and say, you shouldn't do that. I know. It's so much easier just to go, oh, I can't believe that they would do that. They came to church Sunday morning. They did that Sunday afternoon. Well, shame on you. You were here Sunday morning. Now you're gossiping about them. Oh, let me move on. That's another sermon another time. We've got to learn to support those that are hurting, those that are broken. We that are strong in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those that falter and not just do it when it's convenient for us. Strength is for service, not status. Each of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? What can I do to help you? What can I do to step in in this moment? What can I do to help you get from here to over here? What does that look like in your life? You see, you're not always going to relate to them. You're not always going to understand the way they think. But we must remember that we are instructed by God to go and make a difference in their lives. See, everyone has a past. You have a past. They have a past. But because of the price that Jesus paid on the cross, we now have a future. And that's what we've got to grab a hold of, church. As we reach into these lives of people that are different than us, we've got to realize because of the price that Jesus paid on the cross of Calvary, their past no longer defines them. Your past no longer defines you. But you are defined by what Jesus did for you on the cross of Calvary. When he declared, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Question number three, very quickly, is this. What must I do? How should I care? Why should I care? Now, what must I do? Verse 19 and 20 says this. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up. Go downstairs and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. I love this. He says, get up, go, and go. Get up, go, 
and go. He gives him declaration in this moment. Don't hesitate, just go. Notice here, God doesn't give Peter a threefold plan of what to do. He doesn't give him every detail of what's going to happen. He doesn't give him a, a printed agenda of the occurrence of the day. He simply says, go. Now, Peter did not go to the Gentiles because he understood the vision. He went because the Holy Spirit told him to go. Here's what I've discovered. God simply wants our obedience. We don't have to have a full understanding. In fact, the Bible says don't lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge him and God will make your path straight. Those of you that are in the military, when you receive orders to go to your next appointment or place, the government doesn't look at you and go, now do you understand all the details? Do you understand why we're doing this and, and what's going to happen in this moment? They don't ask you if you have clarity of mind, do they? I don't think they do. You wish they did. But they simply say, this is where you're going. And sometimes it's not even that yet. <laughs> this is when you're leaving. Just go. God's asking for your obedience. In the book, Four Faces of a Leader, author Bob Roden says this, as we focus outward rather than inward, we position ourselves to render the most helpful service of all in Jesus' name. When we focus ourselves outward rather than inward, when we get outside of these four walls, when we get outside of our comfort zone, when we get outside of our self-created world and we look to the outside and the impact we can make there, we have better positioned ourselves to fulfill the calling that God has in our lives. I know I tell you this all the time, but our mission as a church is simply love, reach, and power. It's going to require that every single one of us in this room, every single individual walking or watching online that considers Encounter Church their home, it's going to require that we look beyond ourselves to show love to maybe those that aren't lovable, those that don't fit into our mold. It means we love the individual and let God do the rest. See, it's time to get up. It's time to go. But there is a result to all of this. And I love this result. God showed up. You see, when we're obedient to the call of God, when we're obedient to the things of God, when we're obedient to what God has laid before us, God's going to show up. It says, even when Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. Why did this happen? Why did the Holy Spirit fall upon the crowd that day in the midst of the sermon that Peter was preaching? 
because Peter was wholeheartedly pursuing this call. I share my messages with a couple of the staff uh, before I send them to the office. And I get feedback from them. And in the midst of that, Pastor Luke made this statement. And I thought, man, I've got to give him credit. This is good stuff. He says, don't discredit what God can do in your simple acts of obedience. Don't discredit what God can do in your simple acts of obedience. Well, pastor, I don't have a lot to offer. God's not asking you how much you have to offer. Well, pastor, I don't have a lot of wisdom. God's not asking you how much wisdom you have. I I don't have a lot of time. God's not asking how much time you have. He's just asking, are you willing? Are you willing to love those that aren't like you? To reach out to those that don't fit into your mold? Are you willing to reach beyond yourself even when that person isn't the good Christian you think they need to be? You see, if we're faithful to be obedient in that moment... Thank you again for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to your life.